listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. In this week's sermon, lead pastor Matt Dean teaches through Colossians 3 in our sermon series titled, First, The Supremacy of Jesus. If you're just joining us, we are in week three of a series walking through the letter of Colossians. It's in the New Testament towards the back. And really the first week we talked about that the, that the aim of this life is that Jesus would have the supremacy in everything. And, and what does it look like to place Jesus first in our life as the first one to redeem us, as the one to bring satisfaction to our souls, as the only name above all names? And as we think about what does it look like to put Jesus first in our life, what is the good that happens in our lives as we place him where he rightfully belongs? And then last week, we talked briefly just about what does it mean to not only receive him as Lord, but continue to live in him as the Lord. And we talked about in Colossians 2 that uh, it says, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. So it's not just that you believe in him for salvation, but it's a daily ongoing relationship to be rooted and built up, established in him. And we talked about in chapter 2 that human religion and human tradition is powerless to save us from our human fleshly desires, that human tradition and human regulations, and they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so as we turn the corner to chapter 3 and the idea of being raised with Christ and being seated with him and setting our mind on things above, it's a, it's a fair thing to remember that this culture that the letter was originally written to had some of these same exact struggles that we face here in our culture. And there was an overindulgence in sensuality, just like our culture is struggling with. There's a total lack of eternal perspective, just like our culture is struggling with. And so we're going to begin tonight in chapter 3, and we're going to walk through the first 17 verses of Colossians. Um, But before we do that, I was talking to uh, a close friend this week, and this particular friend said to me, does it ever get easier? He's a little bit younger than me. He said, does it, ever, does it ever get easier? I mean, what, what are you talking about? He's like, just the struggle with sin. And I said, well, yes and no. I said, it does get easier to trust in Jesus after you've failed over and over and over and over again. It does get easier to trust in Jesus when you realize that his love for you is unconditional, unconditional, unconditional. So yes, in some ways it does get easier, but it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And so while, yes, it does get easier because the solid foundation of the unshakable love of Jesus becomes more rooted and stable in our lives, but the reality is that the sin that a 20-year-old maybe struggles with is going to be the same as a 40-year-old, as a 50-year-old, as a 60-year-old. And all of us, every person in the room, is going to be tempted to believe something else other than God will satisfy our souls. And at the end of the day, and the most basic definition is that's sin. That's sin. And there's not a person in the room that's exempt from struggle, that's exempt from failure, that's exempt from doing and saying and thinking things that we wish we would have never done, said, or thought. And so tonight we all stand on the same ground, and that's at the foot of the cross saying there's only one way to be right with God, and that's through the sacrifice of a sinless Savior named Jesus. But that being said, there is this call to more. There is this call to greater dependence, greater obedience, greater Christ-likeness in our lives. But Paul is so careful to talk about what is the actual motivation and sustaining power for that. And I can tell you up front, it's not human commitment. 
It's not human regulation. It's not bootstrap theology that can say, well, if I just try a little harder, maybe I won't struggle anymore. And if you ever meet someone who's been walking with Jesus for a really long time, maybe they're a little bit older in their lives, they're going to be so convinced of the gospel of Jesus because they would have had decades of failure, decades of repentance, decades of receiving God's grace over and over again. And there's going to be a softness and a tenderness and a sweetness to their love for Jesus because they have failed him over their lifetime, yet he has never failed them. And in the church, there's got to be room for a little bit of immaturity. There's got to be room for a little bit of mess, a little bit of I don't have it together. But there's also got to be hope that says he is building us as a people to look increasingly more like him. So we don't want to offer up our bodies to sin. We don't want to just give in to every single temptation. But we do want to be so well acquainted with grace that when someone comes to us in legitimate sorrow over sin in their lives, that we can gently restore them back to the cross of Jesus and point them towards Jesus, the one and only Savior. And that's what it means to have authentic gospel community. There's not a man in this room who hasn't failed. And there's not a woman in this room who hasn't failed. And for the people that are young adults in this room looking around, it's true. It's true. Your mom, your dad, me, there's no one in this room that has not failed, that has not sinned, that has not struggled. And yet, the older we get and the more we walk with Jesus, the more we see the sweetness of our Savior and his love for us. And that's compelling. That is powerful. So as we begin chapter 3, this is what it says in the first few verses. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And as I was in dialogue with this friend who was wrestling with a particular sin in his life, I said, here's the thing. As your delight in Jesus grows, your hate for sin will increase as well too. But as we are immature in our faith, sin initially will be more appealing than the thought of obedience and trusting in God to be greater and more satisfying. But as our love for Jesus grows, our true love and appreciation of the gospel will diminish the luster and lure of any temptation that we face in our lives. And just, just to work backwards for a moment, um, as I was talking about this with my friend, I said, let me ask you this. When you struggle with sin X, Y, Z, whatever this may be, how do you feel on the back end of that? Horrible. Well, do you, do you want to feel that way? Do you want to experience that kind of grief and heartache and consequence? Well, no. Then remember that going into it. And are there some things in our lives that we can say no to in advance because we know it's going to lead us down a road that will just leave us empty and defeated again? And see, it's the love that Jesus has shown us that that's going to be the thing that goes, I, I could do that, and on my best days I won't do that, and on my worst days I will do what I said I would never do again. But as Jesus, would your love for me become greater than any temptation that is before me? And that's the prayer to pray. And as you struggle with sin, as I struggle with sin, the prayer would be, Lord, make this thing that is initially attractive to me become repulsive to me. And make your love that will never change for me become more and more magnificent to me. Help me say yes to you more than I struggle to say no 
to that. See, the invitation is say yes to Jesus more and struggle less with sin. The struggle will still be there. But listen, for those of you that know the sweetness of obedience, think about that. Have you ever said no to temptation, experienced his faithfulness and gone, I'm so glad I said yes to Jesus and no to that thing. See, there is a payoff, and the world would say there is no payoff, but the gospel is there is joy and peace for the people of God when we walk with God and the power of God to the glory of God. So Paul is saying, if you've been raised with Christ, set your heart and minds on things above because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your very life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, chapter 3 is kind of broken down into some statements. And its first is just kind of this, imper- this indicative of like, because of the gospel, this is true. So set your heart and mind on things above. And then there are these imperative statements. And if you go through Paul's letters, there's the indicative, this is who you are. In Christ, And then comes the imperative statements, so this is how to live, this is what not to do, this is what is to do. And you need to hear this in the right order. The gospel comes first, and then comes instruction. The gospel comes first, and then comes correction. The gospel comes first, and then comes to put these things off and put these things on. It's the same way in Ephesians, it's the same way in Romans. The gospel comes first, the glory of God comes first, the sacrifice of Jesus comes first. So because all this is true, then... Because you've been accepted by his righteousness, then you can say no to these things. Then you must do these things. And so the commandments come after this invitation to sonship and daughtership. It's not the opposite way around. We don't perform for approval. We stand in the victory that Jesus achieved for us, and we walk in victory from that cross. And so then in the next verses, it's very specific. And just think about this. Take comfort in this. If you look at the letters to the church in the Bible— The reason why the details are in there is because they were struggling with those things. So just keep that in mind as we go down this laundry list of struggles. It says this, verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. This church was struggling with those things. And Paul, as a pastor to the people that he cared about, saying, You've got to put to death those things that you're struggling with. The culture all around them was amplifying that, but he's saying you've got to put those things to death. And then it says, verse 7, just a gospel reminder. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. And here's the good news. It's being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. And so there's this very specific correction of saying, look, stop being angry. Stop sinning in your anger. Stop committing immorality. Stop all of these things. That's not who you are as God's people. You are being renewed, and he's saying, in Christ, this is what is ours to pursue together. And then in verse 12, it says, so if you're putting these things off, put these things on. Put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is who you are, so put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on meekness. Put on patience. 
bear with one another, and you, if you have a complaint against one another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Dads in the room, put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on meekness. Put on patience. Mothers in the room, put on compassion. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on meekness. Put on roommates in the room. Brothers in the room. Siblings in the room. Sisters in the room, co-workers in the room, put these things on. Now, here's the thing. All of us are going to struggle to think that we're always right, myself included. And yesterday was one of those days. I have some stress that's underlying in my life because as a church, we're facing some major, major decisions about the trajectory of our church. And, and I had just been carrying this in my own heart and mind. And kind of unbeknownst to me, I was walking around if one, I'm just chill, and ten is like, stay away from me. I was walking around at about a seven, and I didn't even know it. And then little normal things happened in my home yesterday, and what should have been a one to three jump ended up being like a seven to ten jump immediately. I'm just being honest with you, just being real with you, and, and unintentionally, but nevertheless, in a very real way, I hurt the feelings of some of my family members yesterday and didn't even know why I was doing it. I didn't set out to do it. I didn't plan on doing it. I didn't go, let's see, what can I do today to offend my wife and some of my children? I, there, there are a lot of options. No, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And it took a very slow conversation with my wife this morning for me to recognize that there is really no reason for me to be shouldering that level of stress. There's not. But it took her putting on compassion to see what was going on in me. It took humility for me to put on humility and, and have to go into this confrontation not thinking I was right. Because everyone wants to be right. And at the end of the day, we're often not right. <laughs> and I just think as we raise our children to know and love Jesus, it's really important that they see that we as adults can admit, I did not get that right. And here's the thing. If this church was struggling with it, then this church is going to struggle with it. If that church in Colossae was struggling with these things, this church is going to struggle with that. And I am not naive. I know if we go back to that top list of five through eight, and if someone were just to confess, hey, here's really what's going on in my life, I know there's some struggle going on in the room, and I'm just reminding you, put it off and say yes to Jesus and receive the grace that is truly yours in him. And maybe some people need to put on some compassion for their spouse or their friend or their roommate. Maybe someone needs to put on additional humility and patience. And I don't have to spell that out for you. You're intelligent people. But this is what I know. There's not a soul among us that doesn't need to put something else on. <laughs> we all need to go down this list and go, Lord, would you help me tonight put on compassion for this child that I'm having difficulty with? Lord, tonight, would you help me put on forgiveness as I deal with this friend who's wounded me 100 miles from here? Lord, tonight, would you help me put whatever I need on out of this list so that I will experience your joy and they will know that I legitimately have a Savior who is continually bringing me in to greater and greater relationship with him. Verse 14, it says this, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I got a text message this morning at 4.43 by someone from the church, and it said, pray for me. I'm struggling. And I thought, well, I don't want to just write back and say, I'm going to pray for you. Yes, I'm going to pray for you. And I did pray for that person. But I sent that person back scripture because it's the word of God that they're going to carry, not the thought that I'm praying for them. And what they needed to know is that God's word spoke specifically to what they were going through. And you need to know, whatever your struggle is tonight, that God's word speaks to what you were going through, whether it's doubt or fear or anxiety or addiction or temptation, whatever it may be, his word is sufficient for you. So dig in and find it. Google it if you need to. Go to the index if you need to. But if you're struggling with fear, just look up Bible verses on fear and you'll have 25 come up in like three seconds. The thing is, a community that's rooted in Christ is going to have to have the word of Christ dwelling in them richly. And what comes out of that is thankfulness. That person later on this morning wrote me back and said simply, Thank you for praying for me. No, really, thank you for praying for me. And it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And here probably is the best verse that kind of pulls us all together. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is what I love. Malusi, welcome back, my friend. Welcome back. Um, this verse of freedom, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus. You've heard me say this before, but a great decision-making grid is this. Can I do this in the name of Jesus? Can I date this person in the name of Jesus? Can I raise my child this way in the name of Jesus? Can I buy this in the name of Jesus? Can I go there in the name of Jesus? Can I watch this in the name of Jesus? Can I do blank in the name of Jesus? Can I say blank in the name of Jesus? And if you can, do it to the glory of God. And if you can't, don't. Because grief is around the corner for you. And it's just so simple, but yet the most difficult thing in life to do. And I'll just tell you a practical application of this. And you're like, oh, no, I'm not really ready to hear this. But uh, I, like 99% of you, am a Netflix guy. Okay? Anyone not having Netflix, good for you. I know some people are like, I'm not watching TV ever again, and good for you. I don't know that that really works in real life, but I have, I have grown more sensitive to this, that when I see television shows that are new and I get six minutes in and they start dragging the name of Jesus through the mud, I can't watch that in the name of Jesus, you know? And I, I'm not trying to put that on you. I'm just trying to say, as I wrestle with God's word in my own life, I just haven't finished some series that I started. And they're just kind of hanging out there in Netflix world, and I probably am not going to know how they end, and I'm really, I'm okay with that. You know? Or it maybe it's some, some things that you're involved in. It's just practically you're like, yeah, but I don't want to give that up. And I'm just saying if you can't do it in the name of Jesus, then just don't. And see what joy comes from your life. Now, that's me. That's my conviction. That's what I'm walking through. I'm not putting that on you, but... You need to know that I'm not just saying, hey, here's a good suggestion for your life. Like, I'm wrestling with this too. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Because if I cannot thank God for what I'm doing in the name of Jesus, I really don't need to be doing it. Period. And you don't either. 
And this is not about morality or perfectionism or performance-based acceptance. This is about Jesus is worthy of my life and my attention. And I just want to be involved in the things that bring him glory and honor. Because at the end of the day, that's going to satisfy my soul. And that's going to bring him glory and honor. I'll conclude with this thought. And then we're going to have a time of communion and, and just remembering the cross tonight. But whatever it is that's pressing on you. Like whatever struggle it is that you just can't get over. Would you just ask the Lord to increase your love for him? Just ask the Lord to increase your love for him so that when that thing comes up, that what you experience in his presence, in his peace, in his joy, in his satisfaction will in time, in time, be greater than the lure and luster of whatever sin you just are so ingrained with. And when you fail, get back up again and trust in the cross. But just, would you say, Lord, I'm struggling with this, but I want to love you more than I'm drawn to this. So would you faithfully reveal your goodness to me over time as I say yes to you rather than no to that? Because saying yes to him, all of a sudden that goes away. And just practically, again, how do we live this out practically? This is when I know a lot of sin occurs. Ready? When you're isolated, when you are exhausted, okay, when you are bored, and when you're alone. And that tends to happen in all of our lives. If we're isolated emotionally, if we are alone, and we're just literally all by ourselves, if we are exhausted, or if we're bored. John Calvin says that our heart is like an idle factory. And we just think of different ways to satisfy these cravings. And so if you find yourself becoming isolated, walk in the other room. If you find yourself alone, send a text message to a friend and saying, I'm going down that road, help me out. If you find yourself exhausted, it says the Lord gives rest to his beloved. If you find yourself just in need of community, then reach out. That's the church. And there's no reason to struggle alone because the truth is you are not alone. Will you pray with me? Father, tonight I just know there's really good news for anyone that calls on you. And I know, God, that your grace is sufficient for my sin, my struggle, and for every struggler in this room. And God, I thank you for the very real grace that you have given us in Jesus. It's not hypothetical. It's not conditional. You see us as holy and blameless because Jesus accomplished that for us. And Father, we were worth the death of Jesus to you. So help us walk in that. God, help us set our heart and mind on things above that we may walk in a way that honors you and glorifies you. And for anyone in the room that finds it just too hard to believe that the gospel would be true, Lord, would you give them faith tonight to trust in you. If there's anyone in the room tonight that does not know you, Jesus, Lord, would tonight be the night they say yes to you. For we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus, who's so full of mercy for us. Amen. For more information or for ways you can partner with the mission of Grace Auburn, visit our website, graceauburn.church.